This is It Was a Thing on TV. Spoiler number one is Dr. Lee Franz. It stinks. What is going on? <laughs> what is going on? Episode 62, Submission 631. Love, Sydney. Love, Sydney aired on NBC from October 28th, 1981 to June 6th of 1983 for a total of 44 episodes. Please believe me. Lately my whole world is changing. Suddenly you're here and my life's better than before. Tony Randall, a versatile actor as he is, of course, we know from The Odd Couple, and that's pretty much it, I think. The Odd Couple, and that's pretty much it, I think. Well, this was his great return to television, but it actually started before the series. Well, hold up, Chico, because... Before before this show and after The Odd Couple, he was on a show that aired for two seasons on ABC. And you know what it was called? What was it called? It was called The Tony Randall Show. Oh, yeah. We're going to be covering that later, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, and you know who, who else was on that show? Who else was on that show? Barney Martin, who played Jerry's dad on Seinfeld. Ah, interesting. Yep. Quite, quite interesting. And it was, uh, it was written, one of the writers on that show was Gary David Goldberg. Who would later go on to create Family Ties. Ah. And future installment Day by Day. Yep. Or was I, or am I thinking of as uh, one of the Borowitz people. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so we're going back to a short story written by Marilyn Cantor Baker called Sydney Shore, A Girl's Best Friend. It's about a guy named Sydney Shore. And he was a girl's best friend. But not just any girl. An, uh, an up-and-coming actress or actually an an actress, and by actress we mean, you know, trying to make it actress, named Lori Morgan, and her young daughter, Patty. Aspiring actress. Thank you, Brain. 
that was well that short story was adapted into a TV movie which starred Tony Randall and Lorna Patterson as Lori and Kalina Kiff and later and thanks to future installment Soras as the daughter Patty. And Soras isn't a TV show. No. No. no, 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 just so you don't go looking for Soros and saying, I've never heard that TV show. No, but, no, for, it, it's it's another one of those not series-based episodes that we do every now and then, like like the Maury Titles show last week. For more information about Soros, go back to episode zero. But also, uh, another thing uh, we, we should add about Lorna Patterson I don't, this is definitely not an entry, but it might be worthy of an entry. She played the title role on Private Benjamin, the TV series. She did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she she was in the Goldie Hawn role on the Private Benjamin series. Yeah, because Eileen Brennan played her superior, her, her really pain-in-the-ass superior. And she was an airplane. As the singing stewardess. And yes. Fun fact: She is she now makes her her living as a Jewish cantor. Oh, that's pretty nice. That's well, awesome. What, well, what I was thinking you were going with it was, you know, who who is who is uh, I I think it she's who's next to her in that scene where she is that the scene where like she's singing to like the one sick patient. I believe so. Yes, because you know who else is in that scene? Who else is in that scene? Joyce Bullifant. Ooh. Yeah. How about that? Yep. So not much that not much could be said about the uh, TV movie except that it spun off this show. Unfortunately, Lorna Patterson was I'm guessing busy doing Airplane 2 the sequel, I don't know. No, well, she, or, she or, was... or Private Benjamin. Yeah, yeah that's right. Because Private Benjamin would have just premiered in eight, would have been on the CBS Fall schedule in eighty one. So yeah. So they needed they needed somebody to play the Lori role for the TV show, and that was Swoozy Kurtz. She of long running sisters and future installment Pushing Daisies. Well, I remember Pushing Daisies. I know. Really should have lasted longer than it did, but oh well. Yeah, that was one of those one of those series from the late from the was it mid to late two thousands that probably should have gotten a longer run. Thanks, thanks, yeah, writer strike. Yeah, it was mid two thousands, and well, sadly, now it's pushing daisies. Mm. Anywho, uh, Tony Randall and Kalina Kiff reprised their roles as Sydney Shore and Little Patty Morgan, who is just the most precocious thing. You wouldn't know it, but in a few years, she would star as the granddaughter of Barbara Billingsley in The New Leave It to Beaver, which she was a little less precocious. I don't know. Oh, is the new Leave it to Beaver on the list? Yes, it is. I was just going to add that. It's already on the list. Okay, because there's something about the new Leave it to Beaver that I'm going to mention after the show. Well, there you go. 
And interesting, this was, uh, at, at, at times this was before its time, but at other times it was very much restrained. For one, Sydney Shore was one of the first openly gay people on television, but the, the that was mentioned on the TV, on the movie, but not, I repeat, not in the TV show. Was it maybe a little too controversial for its time? Probably. In, in terms of making a series whose title character is gay. I mean, you've had supporting characters at that time that were openly gay, specifically thinking of Billy Crystal's character, Jody, on Soap, but he was a supporting character. He was not a lead character by any stretch of the imagination, at least in the beginning. Yeah, and to- and, and Tony Randall, he's a big name, you know. He is just one of the one of the uh, heavies of the sixties and seventies, and now he's playing this character who is gay and in his fifties. But let's talk about uh, the other two characters on this uh, sort of love love comma triangle, and that would be Lori Morgan, who is not an aspiring actress as she was in the film but an established actress who moved to New York to get a fresh start because she was playing the vix, the uh, role of vixen Gloria Trinnell in the soap opera show within a show as thus we are. And if you can translate that title, you're better than I am. But yeah, her, her daughter is Patty who is just a precocious figure who sees Sydney as a father figure she never had, and Sydney sees Patty as the child he never had. Another thing you have to understand about Sydney is that he is an illustrator. His business deals were made with young ad agency director Jason Stoller, played by Chip Zine, who works at Graham and Ludwig, Sydney's biggest account. Another recurring character of the first season was his friend and neighbor, Judge Mort Harris, played by Alan North. He has another neighbor in the second season named Mrs. Gaffney, played by Barbara Brine, wife of the building superintendent, who seeks to gain Sydney's affections. Anything? Well, one thing I found interesting is you mentioned Judge Mort Harris was played by Alan North. Now, since this was 81-82, what else would Alan North have been in which would have been on another network in 1982? In 1982? Yes. A police squad. Yes. Yes, he played what turned out to be the George Kennedy role opposite Leslie Nielsen in the police squad series. Oh, that's great. We'd also be remiss if we didn't mention one final cast member uh, who was added in the last season. Uh, she played Jason's secretary at the ad agency, Graham and Ludwig. Uh, her name is Nancy, and she was played by the one and only Lynn Thigpen. Yes, the chief of Where in the World is Carmen San Diego? Among other things, absolutely. This was the result of a TV movie that did well for NBC. And frankly, if you were doing well for NBC in 1980, you were doing just enough. 
Yeah, because Lord knows nothing else on NBC in 1980 was doing gangbusters. Yeah, and that brings up something very interesting, which I think Chico was going to lead into, is the movie itself was very successful, uh, and uh, the network was sort of using it as a pilot, and they wanted to develop the weekly series from that movie, uh, since it was very successful in the ratings. But the problem is NBC had an issue with postponing its premiere and by the end of the 80-81 season, it hadn't aired yet. So that's a good year probably after the, the movie uh, was first uh, shown. So, you know, it sort of gets out of people's minds if you don't, you know, step up immediately. Because we've seen shows where there's a miniseries or there's a TV movie. It does gangbusters. And you see that movie immediately turn into a series. I'm thinking specifically like V, if you uh-huh. remember V back in, well, it's actually a couple years after this, because V was, I believe, 83 or 84. Yeah. You know, they had that miniseries or the movie or whatever it was, and it did a great job. And what did they do? They turned it into a series almost immediately. I mean, well, maybe not immediately, but well, well, with if I a recall, few months turnaround. Well, I recall, didn't they do a second miniseries? And then they did they a did... second. Yeah, they did a series. They did a second series, and then yeah. they ended up doing a series uh an actual tv series but and then still, they, uh, and then they did the uh, gritty reboot in the mid 2000s oh, oh yeah in the future entry that's about the reboot yeah the one good thing about that was marina backward let's just get it out of the way of course and who was in charge in nbc 8081 fred silverman i do believe and if it wasn't fred silverman it was grant tinker but then you look at again v who was in charge of NBC at that time? Some young stalwart named Brandon Tartikoff. And gosh knows everything or almost everything he touched at NBC during his tenure turned into gold. Pretty much. But we first had to get through the whole Grant Tinker era. Well, it didn't last that long. Now, it might have lasted as long as this show. So who knows? Maybe we're talking of. Uh, the mirror of Dorian Gray sort of thing. But but there was a lot of give and take to get this show spun off t- from the movie. For one, Tony Randall. He was very apprehensive about uh, returning to TV after the Tony Randall show. So he said he'd do it on two conditions. One, he'd have to make enough to finance the National Actors Theater at, at Pace University, which it did eventually. And two, it had to film in New York City. And this is in an era when most productions, if not all productions, moved to Los Angeles. Yeah, because we talked about how in the Bill Cullen episode we did about how Pass the Buck was mainly one of the last game shows to regularly tape in New York City. Well, I mean, I think the only thing that would have been recording in New York City at the time besides this would have probably been soap operas and Letterman. If you think about it and SNL and And SNL SNL, valid point, but still, you know, most of the TV productions, a good 90%, if not more had moved to the West coast by then. Just about. Yeah. And of course this was a, this was like a few years before Cosby, which would also shoot in New York city. Yep, at Kaufman Astoria in Queens. 
the the future home of WFAN. By the way, Kaufman Astoria Studios also hosted future installment video power. Oh no. Really? Yes. I did not know that. Reeves Teletape didn't host the entire series. It hosted a majority of the series, but not the entire series. Uh, there were seven episodes that had to be farmed out to Warner Brothers and Burbank. And then there was another block of episodes that had to be farmed out to CBS Broadcast Center. Home of past installment to the Dana Carvey Show. And we should add the first episode was done at Studio 6A at 30 Rock. Uh, Mike, do you have uh, an an episode guide for this show? Uh, I do, yes. And we're not going to go too deep into all the episodes, but there are a number of episodes that I really believe were groundbreaking for back in the day. They'd be more commonplace nowadays, but back in 1981 and 82, I could see them sort of pushing the envelope a little bit. One episode I see in season one, uh, which uh, aired March 3rd of 1982, my seventh birthday, uh, episode 16, uh, Lori signs on for a misogynist TV commercial. And remember, this is a little bit after the ERA era. Right. So I, I could see that, you know, ruffling some feathers, possibly. Given this is the early 80s, this one I could see causing a a little bit of a stir uh episode 21 from season one the activist Lori's bringing patty to an anti-nuclear protest rally doesn't sit well with sydney uh just an anti-nuclear protest rally now you got to remember uh september of 82 would have been about three years after uh three mile island and it would have been about four years before chernobyl but also, I, I could understand, you know, bringing a little kid, seven years old, six years old, to a protest rally might not sit well with some people. Mm, no, no, it wouldn't. No, well, especially, you know, if, if the kid doesn't know what they're there for. Yeah, that that's, depending on the cause, it could be considered brainwashing if you think about it. Yeah. Not, not well, necessarily a nuclear, an anti-nuclear you know, a strike or anything like that, but we've seen other protests in the last couple of years that yeah, I wouldn't want a kid being anywhere near. Well, also I wanted to mention, you you mentioned about the anti-nuclear uh, war movement. I mean, this, what, this was also, you mentioned this was 82, right? Right. What aired the following year that was related to the movement? The day after? Yep. Yeah, but and also around that time, 83, 84-ish, that's sort of when the uh, the Cold War, the, the nuclear aspect, almost came to a head with Russia. Dealing with Andropov, Chernenko, and then finally Gorbachev came in and tensions cooled down significantly. Looking at season two, episode 12, one is enough. This one... I, this is sort of groundbreaking if you think about it when I give you the context. Uh, Lori's soap character undergoes a sex change, and when Lori begins using Sydney's inspiration for her work, he demands editorial rights. Oh, boy. Well, the sex changes were a thing. I mean, if you remember back in the 70s, uh, Dr. Renee Richards, 
Yeah, but I was thinking about Sydney demands editorial rights. He's going to totally uh, ham it up. But still, the the topic of the the sex change, that's not something you'd normally see on TV, at least back then. So I could see that possibly causing a little controversy. Oh, you're uh, well. This is a show basically born of controversy because if you remember when it was announced, the moral majority came out full force against it. Not so much that homosexuality was actually, yeah, so much as homosexuality was allowed to heaven forbid, homosexuality was allowed to exist in a positive form. Oh, god forbid, right. Let me clutch my pearls here. And two other episodes I see that uh, I think are worth mentioning. Uh, Again, season two, episode 18, The Revolutionary. Uh, Lori is engaged to a dissident Latin American filmmaker who illegally fled his homeland for the U.S. It it just seems nowadays, obviously, it's a, a hot button topic. And we've talked about this type of situation in the past where Uh, Somebody tries getting a green card or moving to another country because they love somebody. Specifically, I'm thinking... Not to mention the advent of 90 Day Fiancé. Right. Um, Wait, you mean future entry 90 Day Fiancé? Yes, that one. Mm -hmm. Well, I was more specifically thinking about Marty Sherman on The Critic when he went to Cuba because his love went back home because uh, she was Fidel Castro's granddaughter. Ah, I, I know that's a cartoon, but still, I mean, it is a bit of a hot button issue because of, of the times we live in. It's just something I found very interesting. And then the last one, and I think, yeah, I, I think this is one of those topics that just isn't covered much on TV or at least covered as much as maybe it should. It's the second to last episode of the series, uh, The Shrink, episode 21 from season two. Sydney rescues a suicidal gay man, then is trapped into being his friend. Well, trap may not necessarily be the best word to, to use, or maybe isn't a word you'd use in everyday life, but not just rescuing a suicidal man, but also rescuing a gay man. I mean, the, the combination, I think, is very powerful. Uh, not, not just the, the, because of being suicidal or being gay. I mean, both those are equally important. But think of the internal struggles that a lot of people who are homosexual have, because that is uh, makes up a a pretty significant portion of people who commit suicide is people who fall under the LGBTQ spectrum. Yeah. So, I mean, that's really moving for something that would have been 37 years ago at this point. That's that's really forward thinking, in my opinion. It is forward-thinking. Yeah. Well, it seems like they were doing a lot of very special episodes on this series. Interestingly enough, uh, most of them did not involve Laurie or Patty, but Sidney himself. Yeah, and they, they dealt with some serious issues. So maybe it just isn't getting a fair shake because... Yeah, even though it was Tony Randall and it lasted two years, and it might have been very questionable in 1982, 83, 81, there were some 
you know, very special moving episodes that may even need to be seen today. Mm-hmm. Although I'll tell you right now, it did get a a big following amongst uh, the gay population in New York City. Yeah, if you listen to Tony Randall's interview with the American Television Archive, he talks in the interview about how you know Love Sydney was basically a big hit in like the cities in like New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles, where they'd obviously be a heavy gay population, but it didn't really play well to other parts of the country. Yeah, this wouldn't really sell too well in the South or flyover states, let's say. The plain states, some Midwestern states. Yeah, I can't see this being a big hit in, say, Mississippi. Well, yeah. I, can't, I can't see this being a big hit in Casper, Wyoming. No, absolutely not. No, 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 no. Looking at the ratings, though, it really started out reasonably well. Uh, looks like the second week it was on air from my notes, it tied for 14th, which isn't bad. 14th out of 68 shows. That's very good. Yeah, it tied Benson. And I mean, Benson had a nice lifespan, a good six or seven years. And it did better than many more popular shows from back in the day. Happy Days, Mork and Mindy, One Day at a Time, Real People, Taxi. Well, Taxi was sort of on the, the downfall by 81, so it, it's understandable. But yeah, I mean, it had good ratings to start. And then from what I've seen, the ratings sort of leveled off. It was pretty stagnant in the middle of the pack in the 30s or, or uh, low 40s right at about the the middle range of of tv shows and then the second season it, it sort of plummeted yeah well having it moved to saturday night did not help well saturday is a death spot unless you're the golden girls and the golden girls wouldn't come around for another three years yeah well if is that all you guys have that's well all i can say is no don't say it because it's time for another round of ebay prices right all right guys what's up for bids now this is a buy it now where you can make a best offer and, you know, and get it for a little bit less. But the I want the buy it now price for this item. It is a Love Sydney black satin cast and crew jacket size large, men's large. And I will start with Greg because he won the previous episode. I will go. Fifty five dollars. And 55 cents. 55.55. Okay. Chico? Uh, I'm going to go with $17.15. Interesting. This Love Sydney crew jacket can be all yours. Oh, Greg, you're just a hair over. 
$49 even. Oh, wow. Uh, but also, 40, I should add 49? the wow. $49, but I should also add the shipping, at least uh, to uh, my neck of the woods, because this is in Sherman Oaks, California, is $21.10. Yikes. That's yeah. going to sting. Yeah, that seems a little high for shipping a jacket, which probably doesn't weigh much more than a pound or two, but it is what it is. Yep, $49 will get you a Love Sydney crew jacket. Okay, well, what can we say about Love Sydney? It was revolutionary for its time, but unfortunately it was not allowed to exist for its time, so until that time, it was just a thing on TV. Yes, it was. And you know what else we love? We love our listeners, but we also oh. love our website. Yes. It was a thing on TV.com oh, yes. where you can find all our previous episodes, our links to social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Jack Dorsey's hate box. And you can email us there. You can find it all there until next week. Oh, next week is. Next week's going to be a fun one. We have oh, yeah. two ep- we have two episodes coming up. Yes. And and one was a an executive decision by me to swap out one uh show for another which I think is a little more timelier and a lot more fun. I think we could definitely get 30 to 40 minutes out of this show. Won't say what it is, but that's the first episode next week. The second one, this is one I know if not just Greg, Greg and Chico, and also me uh, to an extent, we've been waiting for this episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a fun episode. And especially one segment that we'll talk about from this show. Yes, and that's actually what I'm thinking of, is that one segment from this show, it, it, it's really amazing. It, it, it really is. But again, that's going to be next week. That'll be the beginning of, of June. Oh my gosh, it's the beginning of June already. Yeah, and I was and I was worried about what was going to happen with this summer of my other stuff. And I'm like, well, it looks like I'm going to have to record every episode now this summer. Yes, you will. Well, yep. yeah, unfortunately, none of us are doing anything this summer. Trips have been canceled. And uh, yeah, my summer baseball league got canceled. My other line of work probably isn't going to have anything this this year. So, yeah, it's affected all of us. Uh, Some of us. All I got to say is thank God I'm an essential worker. Me too. Yeah. And thank you, too, for your work. I'm not essential in that regard, but yeah. uh, Yeah. Our summers have been uh, affected generally negatively and um well that also gives us a lot more free time to get stuff like this done so until next week uh speaking for greg and speaking for chico i'm mike and we thank you very much for listening to this installment of it was a thing on tv wow we polled a studio audience not too long ago and we said write down your best answer to this blank Sure. $1,000 for the most popular answer. If you choose the second most popular, it's $500 for you. And then $250 for the third most popular answer. May we see the $250 response? Sydney Shore. <laughs> sure. What is that? What?
It was oh, sure. That was a part that uh, Tony, Tony Randall's show. But he didn't spell it that way, did it? He didn't. On everyone's lips. Yes, right. 